It's time for a Big Blue Kickoff Live. Nobody can ever tell you that you couldn't do it because you did. On Giants.com. You know what I saw? New York Giant Prime. And the Giants mobile app. We'll punch you in the nose for 60 minutes with a relentless competitive attitude. Part of the Giants Podcast Network. Let's go out there like a bunch of crazy dogs. Have some fun. Welcome to Friday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live on Giants.com, the mobile app, and podcast platforms. He's Paul DeTino. I'm Lance Meadow with you for the next 60 minutes as we'll break down all that is happening with respect to the New York Giants. And as a reminder, you can find the archive of this show and our entire podcast network on the Giants mobile app, podcast platforms everywhere, and at Giants.com slash podcast. All of our shows this week are pre-recorded, so we won't have an opportunity to take your phone calls, but you can continue to submit your questions using the Giants.com mailbag or using hashtag GiantsChat on Twitter. A little bit later on in the program, we will be answering some of your submitted questions. But right off the top, we're going to continue to preview the upcoming regular season opponents for the Giants. And they will host the LA Rams in Week 6 at MetLife Stadium. This game even more meaningful because the team will be celebrating the 10th anniversary of the 2011 Super Bowl 46 team. And to get more into what to expect from the Rams this season, we are now joined by Jordan Rodrigue, who covers the team for The Athletic. Jordan, you got Lance Meadow and Paul DeTino here on Giants.com, Big Blue Kickoff Live. Greatly appreciate the time today. Hope you and yours are safe and healthy. How's everything on your end? Yeah, doing well out here. It's uh, sunny, sunny every day, so can't, <laughs> can't complain. It's nice to talk to you guys again. Absolutely. A pleasure having you on the program, and the Rams certainly didn't shy away from stealing the headlines this offseason, so let's start with the biggest of all, and that, of course, is the change at quarterback. Jared Goff traded to the Lions. Matt Stafford comes to L.A. You see a pair of veteran quarterbacks with a lot of talent still around Matt Stafford, but my big question is, Jordan, and maybe this is more of a subtle change, but what does Matt Stafford do to this offense or allow Sean McVay to do that perhaps wasn't promoted or didn't flourish with Jared Goff at the controls? Yeah, I, I, you know, I don't think it will be as subtle as a change just because there are a lot of different ways that Sean McVay is hoping to see more eligibles activated um, through the full read of the quarterback. And, and he really thinks that Matthew Stafford is the guy who can really, uh, in, and these are his words, not mine, but turn them into from you know an A to an A plus. And so with that, the, the key phrase you're going to be hearing from Sean McVay, from Matthew Stafford, from Rams teammates, all throughout training camp, all through the preseason and the start of this season, probably the week leading up to that tough Giants defense as well, is um, you know activation of eligibles, making sure that um, all of the five guys who could potentially catch the ball from the quarterback are able to get that distribution and active through the full progressions. Matthew Stafford's able to do a lot of things in terms of manipulating coverages, working within a pocket and out of structure, um, keeping plays alive, freestyling downfield a little bit, and hoping that there's an element there in turn, and as a result of this, an explosive air yards element that just was not there last year. And so that's really what they're trying to do, not only by getting that vertical passing game going, um, but also doing more things horizontally with maybe greater intentionality and a little bit greater speed that can then open up the things they like to do in the middle with Robert Woods and Cooper Cup. You know, Jordan, when I look at those two quarterbacks, I, I think that Stafford's got a better long ball. I think he's better under pressure. I think, to be honest, he's probably even more accurate than Goff. But let's put the X's and O's aside for a second. 
Uh, Goff has been there for a few years. He's had some success. God knows that, you know, they went to the postseason with him, and, and at that point they were very happy with him. But this locker room has now got a new leader in the huddle. And you and I both know that there is a certain quality that a quarterback has to have. These guys in the huddle have to believe in him. They have to want to play for him. They have to want to excel for him. Are you curious as to how Stafford will melt into this team? Was Goff so well-liked that it will make it hard for Stafford to really get a grip on it? Yeah, it's a great question. Something that I've been studying closely, um, you know, during practices and all of that in the spring is how, how does Matthew command a huddle and how does he interact with people all around him and have a story up now with the athletic.com for those who want to check it out about that very topic. It's a great question. It's the most important question I feel. Um, and of course you guys are asking it, right? Cause it's <laughs> the best, you know, but um, you know, it, it's, it's one of those things where I don't think that they just because teammates liked Jared means that they are apprehensive of Matthew. I think there's a level of experience so far that, that people have talked about on and off the record um, in terms of what Matthew brings. He's just seen a lot of stuff. And when you can bring that sort of um, easy confidence into the huddle, but also what he's really made a point to do is made this process extremely collaborative and openness to not only um, listening to his receivers, listening to his offensive linemen, but also willing to change certain facets of his own game and his own preferences in order to adjust and adapt to what some of these very successful receivers, especially such as Robert Woods, Cooper Cup, Tyler Higby, um, some of these guys have done in the past and, and done very well. You know, there's an example of, you know, Cooper Cup and Matthew Stafford spending, you know, several days together. Cooper Cup has a play card and they're running a little like scout team version of Cooper Cup with the scout team quarterback and Matthew Stafford and and Cooper Cup are standing behind the, the line of scrimmage in constant communication because the scout team receiver is running the choice routes that Cooper Cup has within the play sheet. And they're talking about what, you know, if you see this leverage, what are you going to do here? How are you going to break here? When do you want the ball? Robert Woods is sending extra cut-ups to Matthew Stafford about, like, hey, this is exactly the time that I like to get the ball in order to maximize specifically my yards after the catch ability. And then vice versa, Matthew Stafford seeing things maybe that, um, you know, 13 years in the league, that's what that's what brings, you know, brings that experience and brings that, that confidence. So I, I feel like it's, it's an interesting um, shift and, and certainly an important transition. But I think this is a really mature core roster and one that very much knows that um, just because you liked one guy doesn't mean that the other guy, um, you know, has a hill to climb in terms of that leadership. Can I ask a follow-up about Stafford? I mean, he comes in here, in a way, on a white horse. Uh, so many people are saying, well, Stafford's the missing ingredient that will get this team to a Super Bowl and maybe win one. That's an awful lot of pressure to put on this guy who has had his ups and downs during his career in Detroit. Yeah, exactly. And it's something, you know, the, the postseason record, I mean, is pretty much non-existent. So that's the biggest question, I think, facing him. I don't think after watching the Rams be successful the last few years under Sean McVay, I don't think it's as much of a question of getting to the postseason itself, which is like a champagne problem, guys, if I'm being honest. <laughs> but the, the, the real issue is what does he do then in the postseason? Because that's, that's where the playing field in terms of experience maybe levels out a little bit and where the team itself and the dynamic um, sort of in the mojo of the team um, becomes so, so crucial down the stretch. 
And so that's that's where I think it's going to be really, really important. Um, you know, I, I do think that this offense is going to be improved uh, with, you know, kind of some of the tweaks and the, the things that they're going to implement between Matthew Stafford, sure, but also with some of the complementary layers of receiving core that they've added. And Deshaun Jackson, you know, Tutu Atwell, um, this kid Jacob Harris is looking really good at tight end. Um, you know, it's just a, a little bit more of a complementary in terms of, um, you know, you're, you're not you're not throwing, you know, close to the line of scrimmage. You're not relying on catch and run explosives. Um, so it, I, I do think it's going to be improved, but it's you're totally right. Once you get to that postseason, expectations are high and the playing field levels out at that point. Jordan, I'm glad you just brought up the receiving core because I want to expand on that point. Obviously, we've seen what Cooper Cup and Robert Woods can do over the last few years. Deshaun Jackson is an established veteran. Interestingly, though, the Rams in the second round of 2020 take Van Jefferson, and then they come back in the second round and they take Tutu Atwell, who you referenced this year. And I guess a lot of people are wondering, well, do the Rams really need more wide receivers considering what most of their starters do and the heavy lifting? What you just alluded to is they could perhaps utilize more of their wide receivers. I'm at least interpreting that based on what you said. But how do you think Atwell and Jefferson can take on maybe larger roles to make this offense a little bit more diverse in the passing game this season? Yeah, it's a great question um, because I do think that Van Jefferson is a very underrated player coming into his second year. And part of that is, you know, being a rookie. I mean, that is hard stuff, guys. You you know it better than I do. You know, it's, it's tough sure. out there, especially in this in this offense with such a crowded sort of top-heavy core receiving group, not just at wide receiver but at tight end as well with some of the things they do with their running backs. So Van Jefferson told me earlier this month that his head was still kind of spinning. Now, this is one of the most pro-ready guys in that draft class. And his head was still kind of spinning into his, his first season. Obviously, they didn't have an off season, But I think he's so versatile. And I think there are so many different ways they can align him that they only scratch the surface with. And when they're adamant about, like, like we said before, about making sure that those five eligibles are active and also rotating through a ton of different concepts, a ton of different things at a very rapid pace that we know made that offense back a couple years ago so successful – um, they expect to, to utilize these guys. Now, with Tutu Atwell, I'm not sure how much we'll see him in his rookie season just because it kind of is dependent on whether Deshaun Jackson can stay healthy. Now, his contract is very, very incentive-heavy, specifically due to, or specifically when it comes to things like will he, is he active for X amount of games on the 46th man on game day, um, playing X percentage of the snaps, then you get an escalator there. So to me, that speaks a lot about, you know, hey, this guy's played eight games the last two seasons, so we want to make sure that in his in his one-year deal, um, it's very sort of incentive-heavy as it pertains specifically to the injuries and sort of those things that have, have cropped up for him. So I think they'd really like to, to get him on the field and keep him on the field, but Tutu Atwell becomes um, sort of the next generation of that type of player, and so if they can get, get him a little bit of time to develop, work him in situationally, try him at punt returner, um, which they've been doing in, tra- in, uh, in spring workouts so far, and work him in, I think they kind of saw how difficult it was for a player such as Van Jefferson, who, like I said, came into the league so pro-ready and still struggled with this offense, 
So, you know, you want to make sure that you at least can ease a guy into it, and Deshaun Jackson offers them a great opportunity to do that. One of the ways to get that passing game going is to utilize Matt Stafford's ability to use the play action. He's always been very, very good at that, but that means that running game has to be going too. Is this where we see Cam Akers bust out? He finished strong last year. Does he grab that number one job by the throat? Or does Daryl Henderson hold him off, or do they still become a two-headed monster back there and split things? You know, I would not be surprised if you saw more two running back sets from Sean McVay's offense, which I can't believe I'm even saying this, <laughs> as Sean McVay's <laughs> offense. I wouldn't be surprised if you saw more of that this year than you have in previous years, but this is the Cam Akers show. I mean, they love this guy, love him. Not, you know, every single one of his teammates, the offensive line and linemen, you guys should hear the way that these offensive linemen talk about Cam Akers and the way he communicates with them and lifts them up and hypes them up and also tells them what he sees, what he feels between every snap. And, and the injury bug was pretty unfortunate. Some couple of freak things that happened to Cam last year. He, like, against the Eagles, he, felt he was carrying the ball um, and fell on the pointy end of it during a goal line carry and then three defensive linemen fell on him and the ball split his ribs. So, you know, that's not something, that's a little gnarly, man. Like, that's not <laughs> yeah, that hurts. That I, yeah. I'm not that recovering. Hurts. I'm not recovering from that. I might retire at that point. So <laughs> for him to come back and then have a strong end of season, I think that was uh, really, really impressive. And it showed his teammates and showed his coaches a lot. He's been working a lot with Thomas Brown, running backs coach, got promoted to assistant head coach as well. Working a ton that I have sort of, when I've been sort of lurking at practice, have been watching them do extra pass pro sets, which tells me that Cam Akers is ready and willing and wanting to step in for all three downs. And so to me, this is the Cam Akers show. I do expect still Daryl Henderson, Xavier Jones to both be complimentary players, but um, Cam Akers, in my opinion, will be the lead back going into the season. We're talking with Jordan Rodrigue, who covers the Rams for The Athletic. There are two things you could point to, Jordan, that Matt Stafford did not have a luxury of when he was with Detroit. One was the running game that you just talked about. Detroit was ranked about 28th or lower for multiple seasons. And the other thing is perhaps some inconsistencies up front on the offensive line. Now, the Rams have had a solid offensive line. It's probably one of the overlooked facets, which maybe is a good thing when you're not talking about the offensive line. And for the most part, it seems to me they really have continuity working in their favor. If anything, there's going to be a change at center with Austin Blythe going to the Chiefs, but Brian Allen has previous starting experience. So how much is the continuity on the offensive line you think a benefit, and should it be a smooth transition for Matt Stafford here in terms of this group having some experience under their belt from working with Jared Goff in previous years? Yeah, you know, on paper, they definitely look like they have a lot of continuity as a strength. But what the Rams did, and especially with Austin Blythe leaving um, for a lesser offer in, in free agency to Kansas City, what, what happened there was they've created now two question marks uh, with one move. And I, what I mean by that is they've moved Austin Corbett, who's been a really, really solid right guard for them for the past year and a half. Um, they moved him to start taking those first-team reps at center. And part of what Sean McVay has been gravitating toward the last couple of years is sort of um, like bulking up that outside zone a little bit, tightening it up a little bit, getting a little bit more power concepts in there. And you need guys with maybe a little bit thicker, lower bodies. You need guys who are going to get maybe downhill a little bit better. And where he had gone toward those lighter, really mobile interior offensive line, and particularly at center, 
And you saw this not only in Austin Blythe, but then when they also drafted Brian Allen, those maybe a little bit lighter, maybe a little quicker guys, laterally quicker, um, you know, in order to get into those outside zone concepts. But they've moved away from that a little bit, and especially with the emergence of Cam Akers and his ability to go downhill, you're going to have, and and Kevin Carberry from Stanford being their new offensive line coach, you're going to have a little bit more of those power concepts. So what they wanted to do was move Austin Corbett over. So you're going from Austin to Austin. Austin Corbett's like a little bit thicker, I would say, a little bit thicker, especially in his trunk and his base. And so, you, you know, you're, then you, you're moving Bobby Evans um, into right guard. Now, Austin Corbett has not played a single game at center in a Rams jersey. And so that's a pretty big gamble. But you hear a lot of good things about him. Um, it's a huge question mark, though, because this is obviously a team with Super Bowl aspirations. And they had that continuity, especially in 2020. Even when Andrew Whitworth got hurt and then, like, made his miraculous comeback, they still held it together pretty well and had that continuity. But now they've created sort of two question marks by moving Austin Corbett over um, and placing Bobby Evans into that right guard spot. So that's going to be one of the biggest, most crucial parts of not only their offseason, but their, the success of the offense and their season itself. Because behind Austin Corbett is Brian Allen, who spent all of last year recovering from a pretty serious leg injury. And then a completely unproven center in, in Coleman Shelton. That's the depth at center. And, you know, that's that's pretty thin in terms of health and experience. So, you know, I, I hate to say they're a meniscus away, um, but it just is one of those things where, you know, you're, you're going to be a little bit clenched watching them the first couple <laughs> of weeks, I think. I'm glad you mentioned Whitworth, uh, but you kind of glossed over it there. He came back from that <laughs> knee injury, and it was great to see him in the postseason. Don't get me wrong. I think everybody in the league really respects this guy for everything that he's done. But you don't see a whole ton of 40-year-old starting left tackles in the NFL. And after that serious injury, I think it's reasonable to ask how much gas is left in this tank. And Stafford also needs to probably be thinking to himself, hmm, if that doesn't go well, how strong is the safety net behind him? Yeah, you know what? I started doing this thing when I came over uh, to cover the Rams. I started measuring increments of time in Whitworths. So instead of saying like, oh, I'm, I'm going to be 30, 30 years old this year, I, I say I'm going to be 30 Whitworths old because he is father time. Himself. <laughs> so I feel like it's kind of this amazing phenomenon that he just like, you, you know, you, you just get used to it. And it's crazy. It's just like, it's almost like seeing Aaron Donald on the other side. It's like you, you get used to it and all of a sudden they do something mind blowing and you're like, oh, yeah, that guy is pretty, pretty amazing. <laughs> so, um, yeah, you know what? They, they've got Joe Noteboom behind him. Now, the interesting thing here, guys, is Joe Noteboom, he stepped in when Andrew Oath was hurt. He played pretty solid. The issue there was that the Rams spent a lot of time in his developmental years moving him around, trying to see if he's going to be a swing man for them or if he could be a tackle. To me, that sort of hinders a guy's development because if you want to find a long-term replacement for a guy of Andrew Whitworth's legacy and caliber, you stick him at left tackle, you have him take all the twos reps, and you keep him there for a couple of years. So I, I would say maybe with that, that experience for him – at left tackle was was good, and now they're going to um, go ahead and just try to keep him there to see what happens in the future. Now, Andrew Whitworth, I believe, has an out after this season in his contract, so it's kind of maybe going to be up to him. Um, the team will probably talk through some things with him at that point, like they do every season, um, so it's not like that's breaking news or anything like that. But they're in an interesting place with Joe Noteboom because he's entering the last year of his contract. So if they want to 
have him be the long-term replacement, this is the year in which they decide that and sort of decide their future at that position, whether it's going to be, you know, Andrew playing until he's 50 or it's going to be, you know, Joe Noteboom. And then you got to think about their issues with the cap and all of those types of things that they've got rolled into some other players. Left tackles aren't cheap, guys. I mean, it's, it's yeah. crazy out there. And so, you know, do are you able to, if you have one more great year from Andrew, you guys maybe make a postseason run, maybe a Super Bowl run, do you then decide, okay, now is when we're going to pay the backup? And are you able to keep him at backup money, knowing he has the leverage of saying, hey, we're not sure how long this guy in front of me is going to play? Well, and that's the big struggle. You bring up a great point for all NFL franchises. When do you make that transition? Can you afford to keep depth? Or are you going to lose guys who develop out of the draft and all of a sudden test free agency? And the Rams certainly have been consistent, but that could be a question down the road for L.A. A question on defense, and it doesn't seem like there's a lot as we transition to the other side of the ball because this was the number one scoring defense in the NFL last season, Jordan. This was the number one secondary that they showcased. However... They do change coordinators because Brandon Staley now is the head coach of the Chargers and Raheem Morris comes in. And I guess for any defensive coordinator that inherits that type of firepower, you wonder, all right, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Or do I want to actually put my own spin on it because I want to run my scheme? What do you think the dynamics will be like here for Raheem Morris taking over a unit that is very strong, but him also maybe trying to dig a little bit deeper into his bag of tricks to maybe add a new dimension to this squad? Yeah, and, you know, I think that one thing about Raheem is that he is so energetic and so inventive in that way where he's been in so many different systems and he's commanded so many different types of players and so many different types of systems running all the way back to, like, the Tampa Two Days, which, you know, probably makes me sound like a young, spoiled brat, maybe makes you guys feel a little bit old, but I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, running all all the way back to that time, you know, he's, he's reinvented so many things about, like, what he's able to do and, and really added so many layers of um, of just that that thing that you need as a coach in football, the ability to evolve, the ability to add and borrow and sort of transfer knowledge and, and apply it to different phases. So what I, I think they're going to be doing a lot of the same stuff that they did last year. I mean, it worked for not only your two-star players, and that's, that's really what this defense revolved around was – Aaron Donald as the center of one solar system and Jalen Ramsey as the center of the other solar system and everyone else sort of orbited around those guys. And that's really what Brandon Staley's defense was able to maximize very effectively. But I do think where you're going to see a little bit of adjustments is um, the types of pressure that they manufacture, not just the type of pressure that, that occurs naturally when you have a you know, natural disaster named Aaron Donald along your, your front line, (laughs) but the types of things you manufacture, not just with your outside linebackers, but with your inside linebackers, you know, the Rams did not blitz a lot last year. Uh, Raheem Morris is, was pretty aggressive with Atlanta last year. Um, and, and so I would not be surprised to see them be a little bit more aggressive in the way that they particularly, um, guile and manufacture and, and design that pressure. Um, but I, I do think that they're going to keep a lot of the, the concepts similar, and they, you know, they worked really hard to retain some of those younger defensive assistants on the staff, like Coach Evero and then Coach Cooley, that can really, especially communicate that language, having so much experience with Brandon Staley, communicate that language into sort of the new group of, of defensive assistants and, and to Raheem himself. And so I think that you know, when we look at number one defenses, the the following year. 
it's pretty non not realistic or unrealistic to imagine that that's a back-to-back number one defensive season. I mean, defensive regression is a natural part of this league. But I think what they're hoping for is that the improvements they made um, on the offensive side of the ball sort of pulls them out of what that sort of parity-dragging system that we know the league does and sort of um, helps counter that natural regression that you see year over year when you do have a number one unit in one phase and then you enter a new season, especially with loss of personnel and, and loss of coaches. So I think they're hoping to have, have struck a balance in that way. And I, I got to tell you, like the players really, really have taken to Raheem Morris, just as they did with Brandon last year, and really like his energy. Um, and he's just, uh, you know, he's a, he's a very close confidant and friend and advisor to Sean McVay. So it's, it's one of those things where you don't have to at all deal with the getting to know you period or that kind of dynamic. So, um, you know, they, they were able to get things rolling pretty quickly here in the spring. Jordan, there's one guy on this defense who really intrigues me because I think for the Rams to be near the top of the defensive rankings, they will need a back-to-back career year out of Leonard Floyd. I was not a fan of him in Chicago. I thought this guy sold out to just try to get after the quarterback, did not play the run, and quite honestly, for a guy who was supposed to be a pass rush specialist, he was not a big sack compiler when he was with the Bears. So what happens? After four years, he signs with the Rams and puts up double digits last season. So what was the big deal that had this guy break out for a career year, and can he do it again? Yeah, and you know what? I will say, too, I'm, I'm going to speak on behalf of, of Leonard here. You watch him defend the run last year, and that was some impressive stuff that he was doing, especially in some of those goal line situations and also the way that he was able to sort of attack mobile quarterbacks and push them to the perimeter, um, defended that Russell Wilson pump fake a couple of times, much to his own joy, I think. Um, <laughs> and I think it's just he just he went all in, really. He, he came to a situation with a coach that he was familiar with in Brandon Staley. And he sort of, I think, found himself along the way. I mean, you talk to Leonard now, and he he knows exactly what it was for him back in those days when he was kind of coming of age in Chicago and, and he wasn't pr- producing or performing the way that he believed he could. And, you know, you could maybe, you know, some of it's probably the player, some of it's system, some of it's, you know, different types of scheme or things like that perhaps you could argue about it until you're blue in the face but Leonard really has bought into where he is and embraced the things that I think people expected out of him when maybe they evaluated him for the draft not just the on the field stuff but you know again I, t- I tell you guys I'm, I'm out there like lurking at practice and just like watching everything and watching him coach the young pass rushers I mean, I don't know, I wasn't at Chicago's practices, but I certainly, you know, didn't hear a lot about things like, oh, you know, third year outside linebacker Leonard Floyd is coaching rookies or things like that. But here he's really taken guys under his wing and really quietly um, become a leader. You know, he's not an outspoken guy at all, but he just kind of shows up, does his business, makes sure that he's communicating and and sort of leading by example and, and quietly taking guys aside when he needs to. And I think that's something that the Rams have have just let him kind of run with and, and really sort of um, uh, sort of vocally and behind the scenes, like really applauded him for that and then rewarded him for it with that $64 million contract. 
now he's got to live up to it, right? So, so it's like, all right, you know, now now you got to put it together two years in a row, three years in a row. Um, and so that's, but he's one of their, their major, depending on him, is one of the major keys to their defense outside of the Aaron Donald factor, outside of the Jalen Ramsey factor. Can Leonard Floyd live up to that $64 million contract, that expectation that he himself set for what he is able to do and, and live up to that year over year, um, and, and especially do so in some in the complete way that they saw it from him last year, which was not only setting a really solid edge, not only able to, to get in after the run, but also as a pass rusher. We're talking with Jordan Rodriguez, who covers the Rams for the Athletic. Jordan, earlier you mentioned that they did lose some personnel on the defensive side of the ball, and I think the three guys that are worth noting, Michael Brockers, obviously, who goes to Detroit with Jared Goff, and then in the secondary, John Johnson III and Troy Hill, who coincidentally both joined the Cleveland Browns secondary, and you know they're hoping the offensive production, as you mentioned, maybe helps offset some of the defensive losses. If Leonard Floyd is maybe the most critical player in the front seven, I would argue, and this is a guy that intrigued me last season, and he coincidentally had the game-sealing interception against the Giants, Darius Williams, perhaps you can argue, is a critical guy on the back end. How fair of an assessment do you think that is now that Williams maybe takes on a little bit more of a bigger role in the secondary? Well, I think it's totally fair because everyone's going to be throwing at him, right? <laughs> Especially when you have Jalen Ramsey opposite you, yeah. Right. Yeah, nobody wants to throw toward Jalen. He knows it. The quarterbacks know it. The receivers know it. Like, everyone knows it. So Darius Williams is is um, really was quite a find for the Rams when they sort of brought him over. Um, and they were able to tender him, which is, again, like one of the, the biggest sort of bargains in terms of talking about the salary cap because of what he was able to do last season um, in terms of taking on that, that larger responsibility as corners do when they are on the field with Jalen Ramsey, opposite Jalen Ramsey. So this is a huge year for Darius, um, not just in that aspect, but also because he is on that tender. And so this is, I guess, we could call it a contract year for him because the Rams want to keep him around long term. But after he, the way he played last year and, and understanding the responsibility um, and the numbers that he could very well put up this season – if he does continue to play at that level, he is well within his rights to ask for top corner money. Well, they've already, they're already paying Jalen top corner money. And, you know, they've got still their, those core guys on those very, very important contracts um, that they build around. So could they possibly work within those parameters? I mean, I, this is obviously a conversation for maybe January. But at the same time, you know, Darius really, really came into his own. And, and I still think, I'm glad you asked about him, because I still think his skill set is, is sort of underrated and maybe talked about a little little less than it should be. And John Johnson was the same way. You know, that Cleveland defense is going to be really fun to watch, and in part because of John Johnson's ability to communicate and negotiate traffic. He was the signal caller on this defense, helped install it via Zoom, over the course of like three weeks and then they were out just running and shooting and just having a blast that, you know, the, um, like a like they were like a run and gun basketball team, like <laughs> running out there and just having so much fun, um, rotating off and communicating, um, just like baffling the offense in training camp last year. And a lot of that was, was John Johnson and the way that he was able to just not only communicate with the coaches, but also with his teammates and, help everybody get aligned and help everybody negotiate that traffic that so often clogs up the middle of the field and get those guys rotating on the back end. So 
not only will Darius be absolutely crucial opposite Jalen this year in terms of making plays on the ball, in terms of um, helping shut down parts of the field, in terms of also helping allow Jalen sort of move freely um, because he'll be playing on the outside and in the star as well. Um, but also, you know, whoever is going to be commanding that back end in replacement of John Johnson, those are going to be the two major questions to watch this year. How strong do you think the special teams unit will be this year? We know over the years the Rams have usually had one of the better ones. And I will tell you that Jeff Eagles, one of our broadcast partners, is probably the biggest Johnny Hecker fan on the face of the planet. <laughs> yeah, I love Johnny Hecker, man. That's He's a great great guy, like a, a, a legendary punter. He's the guy who reminds you how much punters matter, right? <laughs> so it's, it's, uh, it's interesting, though, because... They brought in Corey Barakwes, uh, lefty, who was most recently in Buffalo. And, you know, Sean McVay and Les Snead, like, made a big point, a big show out of saying, like, all right, you know, Johnny's resume speaks for, for itself. He's, this is not a puncher competition. Well, we talked to Johnny a couple weeks later, and I asked Johnny point blank, like, what, what, do you, what does that tell you when they say something like that, but yet you've got a guy who's talented in here with you in, in camp? And he's like, listen... I would be basically I would be silly to not think this is a competition. So it's it's going to be interesting to watch. I think the the financial aspect of it is probably the most important thing to keep an eye on. Um, you know, him being one of the higher paid punchers and deservedly so, in my opinion, um, in the league. But that part's going to be interesting. You know, they they are working through finding a new long snapper. Jake McQuaid just went to Chicago to join um, John Fossil and. Uh, uh, Greg Zerline, who were out there, and that was like the the core group for so many years. So now Johnny Hecker's kind of the last man standing. Um, they found their new kicker in Matt Gay, but in terms of the long snapper and that puncher competition, it's gonna gonna heat up a little bit, I think. And then you know Joe D. Camillus brings some some good energy and kind of is known for being a uh, maybe a little bit of a fixer of sorts when taking over maybe some. More of, more of the disastrous units in terms of, like, DVOA. The Rams have been near the bottom the last couple of years, especially last year, was was really inconsistent. So I think they're just hoping for um, consistency, and they're hoping for, you know, limiting explosive plays, placing the ball, flipping the field where they need to, which we know Johnny Hecker could do. We've seen him do it for, for many, many years at this point. Um, but also making sure that their coverages are solid, making sure that no explosives are being attained on them, that put them in a difficult spot. And that was just something they were way too inconsistent with last year. And that's Jody Camillus' number one job, aside from finding who the heck is going to return punts for them this year. Because <laughs> they rotated through. They even had Cooper Cup out there at, at the beginning of the season. And I'll tell you what, the fan base blew a gasket seeing that. So <laughs> they've, they've got to figure something out back there for sure. Well, I remember we had those conversations with Giants fans when they still had Odell Beckham, and there was the whole debate about whether or not they should use him in the return game. So I understand where you're coming from. Jordan, last one for me before we let you go, and this is not necessarily related to the Giants game because they're obviously going to be playing at MetLife Stadium, but I think what gets overlooked from last season and knowing how deep and dangerous the NFC West is and how maybe home field advantage could be key, with no fans at a brand-new stadium – no one really knows what the atmosphere is going to be like for a Rams home game until this season. I'm curious, based on what you think could be the atmosphere, how much of an advantage do you think it's going to be for the Rams this year as they try to get the upper hand in a very tough NFC West division by welcoming fans back within that atmosphere? Yeah, you know what? They they were smart because they had a an open practice um, 
right before California kind of opened up back up again. And they had like uh, something like 30,000 fans uh, who were who were there and they were sort of sitting. The, the stadium holds 100,000. So obviously everyone was sort of sitting distance and, and all of that. Um, and I was down on the field and it was like extremely loud. <laughs> I mean, and I think maybe I was going through a little bit of a shock to my system myself because that was the first time I had been in a crowd as well. But it was extremely loud. I think the acoustics in there are quite conducive to uh, uh, turning up the volume a little bit. So I think they were smart to do that because it was a little bit of a shock. And players got so used to it, especially, like I said, the Rams were such savvy communicators last year that they really used it to their advantage. And, of course, you know, played it down every week. Like, oh, no, it's just like a normal game, you know, all (laughs) that stuff. But really used some of those those things that they heard on broadcast tape, those things that they heard – from guys opposite them, um, really used it to their advantage. So getting used to that is, is obviously their number one thing. I think they were, were wise to do that because they really have been playing in front of what cardboard cutouts for the last year at each other. And so I think that um, it's going to be interesting to see. I, I, don't, I, could, I can't even um, maybe process the fact that there are going to be people there, uh, let alone project what it might feel like. But um, it was very loud with only 30,000 people. So uh, we'll see how it goes. I can only imagine under those circumstances as we welcome back fans across the NFL landscape in 2021. She is Jordan Rodrigue, who covers the Rams for The Athletic. Jordan, can't thank you enough. We greatly appreciate the time and the insight. Best of luck covering the team moving forward and look forward to seeing you at MetLife Stadium later on this season. Stay well, Jordan. Thank you. Thanks, guys. It was my pleasure. Take care. You as well. Thanks again to Jordan Rodrigue, who covers the Rams for The Athletic, for joining us breaking down the Giants' Week 6 matchup against L.A. We'll give you our takeaways to that interview in a second. But first, a reminder, limited Giants season tickets are on sale now for the 2021 season. In addition to ticket savings, membership benefits include access to exclusive events, experiences, pre-sales, and more. You can lock in your seats starting at just $100. Call 888-NYG-1925 or visit Giants.com slash tickets for more information. Also, don't miss out on your chance to experience a premier hospitality experience watching Giants games and world-class concerts in 2021 as a Giants suite partner. Limited full-season locations are available or place a deposit for individual games. You can call 888-NYG-1925 or visit Giants.com slash suites for more information. A reminder, all of our shows are pre-recorded this week, so we are unable to take your phone calls, but you can continue to send in your questions through the Giants.com mailbag. You can also use hashtag GiantsChat on Twitter. A little bit later on, we will answer a few of your questions. But let's start with some of our reactions to what Jordan Rodrigue had to say, and this is a Rams team that is certainly going to be in contention once again for the NFC West title, as well as perhaps a Super Bowl appearance. Matt Stafford, you can argue, is an upgraded quarterback because of the strong arm and what he can do with the weapons around him, but I think it's more interesting to talk about the defense, Paul, because more often than not, when you think about Aaron Donald, you think about Jalen Ramsey, you say, hey, you know, it really doesn't matter who the hell they surround those guys with. They're going to do plenty of damage. And more often than not, I would say absolutely. But I think what made the Rams' defense special last season was the other guys that stepped up around those two. And you can't overlook the fact that they lost a few guys in the secondary. And as you brought up in the interview, can Leonard Floyd do sort of what we're expecting for the Giants with Leonard Williams? Can you get another double-digit sack season when you haven't done that previously in your career? 
Yeah, that's a big question. And quite honestly, now, they showed so much faith in Floyd by giving him that huge deal to bring him back as a free agent this offseason. And, you know, look, I, I had to bring up the question, Lance, because let's face it, he was a bust with the Bears. He, he just did not come anywhere near what they expected uh, when they drafted him in the first round several years ago. And so, you know, the Rams took the plunge to bring him in. He has a terrific career year and now puts himself in line for a huge payday. So now he gets the moolah. Well, is he the same guy this year? Is he as hungry as he was last year? We talk about that, too, all the time. About how guys in their contract year seem to perform a little bit better because they want to get that checkbook open. And then what happens sometimes after they get those numbers? The hunger, the fire, the desire sometimes wanes a little bit. Now, based on what she told us, I would say Jordan's information, and she's an eyewitness there at practice every day, it sounds like that won't be the case. It sounds like Floyd is ready to have another terrific season and that maybe he was just a late bloomer at 28 years old. And it's possible. We've seen that sometimes with players, or sometimes it's the change in scenery, and all of a sudden something clicks. Just to spell out what you were saying about the career year, we're not just saying a career year in sacks. A career year across the board. I mean, just about every statistical category, he lit things up. High was seven sacks in his rookie year in 2016. He put that number to 10 and a half in 2020. And he played all 16 games. He had 55 tackles. That was a career high. He had 31 solo. That was three short of his previous career high. But his assisted tackles was a career high. He had two fumble recoveries. He had a pass defense. I mean, you name it. He was all over the place. And he improved, as Jordan said, against the run. So there were a lot of different things that he showcased that he wasn't doing consistently in Chicago. But here's the wild card that I want to bring up, Paul. And this goes to environment and whether or not the coach puts you in the right position. Brandon Staley, who was the defensive coordinator last season, who's now the Chargers head coach. If you look at his resume... Staley was actually with the Bears, with Leonard Floyd, early in his career. Staley Mm -hmm. was on staff under Vic Fangio, when Vic Fangio was the defensive coordinator. But Staley was his outside linebackers coach. You know, when you're the positional coach versus the defensive coordinator, you have a little bit more control, right, in terms of where you're going to line the player up. It's your scheme now. So my question is, Staley and Floyd had history. I'm sure Staley put Floyd in a position to thrive. That's not to say that Raheem Morris is not going to study the film from last season, okay? He's an experienced defensive coordinator, but with Staley not around anymore and Morris wanting to put his own spin, will that maybe change the level of productivity you see out of Leonard Floyd? I think it's fair to at least pose that question. Well, I think it's interesting because when you talk about Floyd being a bust with the Bears, well, as you just said, Staley was his position coach for a couple of years. Yeah. So what is it that happened and I, 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 you know, it's hard for Jordan to answer that because, as she said, she was not in Chicago. So she's not going to be able to compare and contrast what happened with the Bears to what happened with the Rams. She can only tell us what happened with the Rams. And this was a completely different guy from the product that was put on tape with Chicago. And, look, I saw it when, when the Giants played the Rams last year. You saw it. That was not the same Leonard Floyd. Absolutely. This was a Leonard Floyd that looked worthy of a first-round draft pick. Wouldn't you agree? 100%. So, I mean, I don't know. How, how does that change considering he had his position coach 
wind up coming over to the Rams, and then he has a breakout year? I can't explain the dynamic there, which equally makes your question a mystery for me. I don't know that I have a prediction on that either. Well, that's why, if I'm to connect the dots, I think part of it is the mindset of the player. Okay, I think the onus has to go on the player and whether or not, you know, you have that energy and passion to do the things that are asked upon you. Number two, I think it's fair to say, and this is not to say that Vic Fangio, I don't want to make a generalization that when Vic Fangio was the Bears defensive coordinator, he didn't allow his assistants to give him feedback. Okay, that would be silly. But I do think there is something to be said about when you're the head coach versus the coordinator, Paul, there is a distinct difference in terms of the level of influence, right? The buck stops at sure. you. So when Staley now gets elevated from positional coach to defensive coordinator, I do think it's fair to say that maybe there were things that he wanted to do that he didn't have the power to do with Floyd that he now did last season when he was the defensive coordinator. So I think those are the two factors that were be. in play last year. Could be. We we just don't know. Again, we would probably have to talk to somebody who was familiar with what happened in Chicago to find out that answer. But I think it's fair to say, with the financial commitment that the Rams made to Floyd during this offseason, they desperately need him to put up similar types of numbers, or it's going to be a bit of a problem. Well, here's why it could be a bit of a problem. The Rams had 53 sacks last season. That put them in the top three in the National Football League. Outside of Aaron Donald, who, of course, had 13 and a half, Leonard Floyd was the only other guy with double digits. They did a really good job spreading the wealth. But here's the thing. They lost, Paul, a lot of the players that gave you two sacks, three sacks, five sacks. For example, Michael Brockers gave you five sacks. Well, he's no longer on the roster. Morgan Fox who joined the Carolina Panthers, who I think was a very underrated pass rusher, he gave you six. You lost 11 sacks between both of those guys. And I don't want to bore our Giants listeners. I could give you a few other players that they lost, but all of a sudden, Paul, Leonard Floyd doesn't give you 10 and a half. You lose 15 sacks from three or four other guys. Now 53 goes down to, you know, 40 or maybe even less than that. Listen, I don't care how good your secondary is. That's going to change the dynamics of your defense. Without a doubt. And I think, to be frank with you, we all know what a great player Aaron Donald is, and I'm not going to take anything away from his Superman tape because the guy is one of the most dominant inside defensive linemen that we have seen, certainly in the last 30 years. But having said that... (laughs) It's going to be a little bit easier for teams to, to, you know, load up against him if they don't have to worry about a guy coming off the edge. It absolutely changes things up because when you have to worry about somebody coming from the interior, that frees things up for the edge. When you have to then draw your attention to the edge, it frees things up in the middle. That's why, not to get off topic, but you and I had a conversation a few shows ago about Dalvin Tomlinson and when he's in the equation versus when he's not in the equation and the dirty work that he does. Very similar because Aaron Donald obviously plays that position, but he's above and beyond any other nose tackle, defensive tackle in the NFL. So I'm not making the comparison in skill set, but it does change the attention that at least is drawn towards that individual player and the rest of the defense. So there's no doubt about that. So that's pretty much the layout of the land for the LA Rams. We thank once again Jordan Rodriguez for breaking down that team. Lance Meadow, Paul Dettino with you here on Friday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live. Now let's get to some other news items 
items related to the Giants as well as the rest of the NFL. Number one, an item related to the Giants roster, they recently claimed off of waivers Raquel Armstead from the Jacksonville Jaguars and the Giants announcing late on Thursday that they have now waived Armstead. So all of a sudden the depth chart at running back is not as deep as it was perhaps a few weeks ago when we were breaking that down. And this means that a guy like Corey Clement could have perhaps an increased opportunity once we get to training camp. Well, look at it this way. We know that Devontae Booker's there behind Saquon Barkley. We know Clement, as you mentioned, is there. We know Elijah Penny is still in the mix as a fullback slash halfback. I don't know what to think about Brightwell's chances. We we believe he's more of a special teams guy. Yeah. Uh, what do we think about Mizell's chances? I don't know. What do we think about Plattsgummer's chances? I really don't know. But here's what I would say, Lance. It opens up another question for me, and that is... Are the Giants thinking about maybe bringing in a different veteran down the road? You know, I've, I've already floated out on this program before. I could make some very logical arguments for bringing in an Adrian Peterson or even a Todd Gurley as somebody who could potentially back up Saquon Barkley. But if the Giants really believe that Devontae Booker is that guy, if he can play the Wayne Gallman role, so to speak, then maybe they really don't need anyone. And perhaps they feel that they have enough in that running back room and they'll keep the group that they've got together today and go into training camp and take their chances as they get close to opening day. I think that's a fair conclusion. I also wonder how much did they see out of Brightwell during the course of OTAs since he joined the team? Did or things? Yeah. Of course. Right? Maybe maybe Clement was just so much better for what they saw that they didn't feel the need to keep Armstead around. Exactly. And they're saying to themselves, hey, if Armstead realistically has no chance to make the roster, let's at least afford him the opportunity to go elsewhere, which I think says a lot about the Giants organization. No point to keeping an extra body, which you could sure. say, hey, you're not under any pressure at this point to cut players, you got a 90-man roster, and you're going to prepare for the three preseason games. So the Giants could say, hey, we saw some flashes, but we still don't know. But better to give the player an opportunity. So you always wonder, even though we don't make too much out of OTAs and mandatory minicamp, and I don't think we should because there's no contact, but maybe something in the classroom, maybe something that occurred when they were lining up within the scheme said, hey, we could utilize this player in this role, so maybe we can move on from somebody else that we took a flyer on off of waivers. I would not be surprised if that was a conversation. And that's something that we really won't know today, perhaps at some point when they get to training camp, because our media availabilities are now shot until training camp opens on July 27th. Uh, Maybe at that point we'll get a better idea of how that room is is kind of sorting sorting itself out. The other thing that I wanted to get to is not necessarily related specifically to the Giants, but more big picture for the NFL. What we've seen over the last few years is the draft, which usually was always in New York City, has since now blossomed to become a spectacle across the NFL, where it's going to go to a different city on an annual basis. It looks as if, Paul, the NFL scouting combine could be following a similar script. There are reports over the last few days that even though the combine is called Indianapolis home since 1987, 
that that could now change starting in perhaps 2023 when they open it up for bidding and now cities can say, hey, we want to host the combine. We want it to become an event for our city, an opportunity to make some money and for media and teams to come into our neck of the woods as opposed to it always being housed in Indianapolis. So it's maybe not something that's going to drastically change anything in the NFL. I don't want to go that far, but it has been a staple that has always been synonymous with Indianapolis. Well, you know, when the Combine first started back in 1982, Lance, it was in Tampa, Florida, and it was there through the 86 season, and then in 87, they moved it to Indy. Now, it started in Florida originally because of the great weather down there, okay, and they loved the opportunity to bring those guys down to Tampa and work them out under, you know, a beautiful conditions, considering that it was early in the calendar year and how many states are cold, <laughs> you know, during the first three months of the year. So that made a lot of sense. Then they went to Indy because it was centralized, and they figured that economically speaking, it made more sense for all of the teams, and it was more fair for everybody if they just had the, 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 uh, the combine held in a place in the middle of the country so that it was universally accessible to all of the teams in the league. So now here we are after 34 years in Indy, and what, they get about 300 players per combine the way it's been going over the last, I don't know how many years now, that they got the number up to about 300. Uh, Now they're saying to themselves, and look, I'm not going to speak for the league, but I think it's pretty safe to say, uh, look at everything else that the NFL has done. Whether it was Super Bowl week, whether it was Pro Bowl week, whether it was draft week, as you alluded to a few minutes ago, the National Football League is a golden goose. And they can celebrate things and make money out of things and create hype out of things probably better than any other organization in this country. I mean, look what happens during the schedule release, Lance. Sure. I mean, they have TV specials for a schedule release. (laughs) So I think it's fair to say they finally decided, you know what, forget about the finances uh, that are kind of go with each team on this. Forget about the, the, the fairness of going to a centralized location in the middle of the country. Let's just see if we can put the combine out for bid and rake in a whole lot more rights money. I, I think that's the bottom line here. And what's good for the league is good for the league. And we both know the answer to that. I think that beautifully spells things out. That was my exact reaction. This is coming down to marketability, Paul. It's as simple as that. It's another opportunity for the league to market its various cities and teams and rotate and allow fans to be exposed to an event that usually, once again, is Indianapolis's to have. So I think that's what this comes down to. However, you brought up something interesting that I was not thinking about when you were talking about the weather in Tampa. If they rotate, and remember, the benefit of Indianapolis is you're housing it in a dome. Mm -hmm. So what happens, okay, because it's one thing to say you could hold the draft anywhere, right? All you need is a big auditorium. It really doesn't matter. But if you're going to house the combine with 300 players, you're going to want to put it in an NFL stadium or something that can house that many individuals and allow the coaches and scouts to sit in an area where they could spread out and do their thing, okay? So if you have it being held, Paul, in a team's location where it's an outdoor stadium, now you're rolling the dice with weather. What happens if it rains? 
What happens if you have horrendous weather over the course of the weekend that you're hosting the Combine? What exactly are they going to do under those circumstances? Well, there's another issue, Lance, that's even bigger than that. And it has to do with the medical situation. It just so happens that Indianapolis, because it's such a small city, uh, it is not a far trip from the stadium to get to the hospital. And when you have guys who need to go undergo MRIs, x-rays, and all kinds of other medical tests, which is basically the primary reason for the combine, it becomes incredibly easy when they're in Indianapolis to have that done. Because it's literally a hop, skip, and a jump to get to the nearest medical facility that can handle these things. Well, what happens now as you try to sell this thing around the country to locations that maybe don't necessarily have uh, large enough medical facilities close enough to the location of the stadium? Uh, those places, in my mind, are probably going to be ruled out of the, uh, the bidding. Yeah, I think that's another great point. See, this is why when this news broke, most fans, most individuals say, all right, hey, this is nothing big. The combine's going to go on. It'll just be in a different city. But it's the more and more you peel back the layers, you realize why maybe executives would be bothered by this more so than anybody else because of what we were talking about, the weather component, the unknown there, and then the convenience for your medical team. If you have another city... You may have, especially, for example, Los Angeles. I'm not picking on Los Angeles. I'm just throwing it out there because obviously they have a beautiful new stadium. And you know what L.A. traffic could be like, Paul. And what happens if the hospital is, you know, it should be a 15-minute commute and then it becomes a 45-minute commute because of all the traffic. Those things don't seem big, right, in the big picture of things. But if you ask NFL executives, they're going to tell you that's pretty notable to help them with their experience at the Combine. Lance, having been to the Combine the last handful of years for Big Blue Kickoff, I can tell you that virtually everybody was located within a four-block radius of the stadium. Convenient. Uh, And, oh, are you kidding me? You walked everywhere. Yeah. You didn't have to get a cab. You didn't have to get a bus. You, it, there was no concerns. As long as you had a pair of Nikes, you were set. <laughs> well, see, that's why it's suitable for somebody like you. I loved it. Are you kidding me? So, I'm, and, and, and I'm not just talking about the facilities in terms of medical and the actual uh, workout facilities. I'm also talking about the hotels, I mean, everything was within a four-block radius. It couldn't have been better. And quite honestly, as you know, that is also a very big rumor market for your agents because they're shopping around their free agents, and there's a lot of kibitzing going on. Yeah. And everybody is packed into that four-block radius, and you're constantly running into people, and words are constantly being exchanged, and feelers are constantly being put out. I mean, if, if you spread this out into a city and a location where things are not so closely packed together, there is going to be a dynamic that's lost. Yeah. And once again, I think that's something that's overlooked because once again, the executive branch of NFL teams, they're thinking about those things, not necessarily everybody else that consumes the product. So an interesting piece of NFL news. We'll see what transpires with that. Obviously, at this point, it's just a report whether or not it gets implemented. That will remain to be seen. 
Lance Meadow, Paul DeTito with you here on Friday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live. As I mentioned earlier, we are pre-recording these shows, but even though we can't take phone calls, we still want to keep that interactive part of the program. So right before we wrap up, let's answer a few questions that have been submitted. And this one came via hashtag Giants Chat on Twitter. Comes from Dylan, and he poses a statement and then a follow-up question. He says, there hasn't been enough talk about the signing of inside linebacker Reggie Ragland. Do you think he has a chance to start over Tay Crowder, or do you think it's more Ragland for goal line early down run situations while Crowder will be used more for passing situations? You know, I suspect that that Reggie Ragland is veteran insurance on the depth chart, and I would like to believe that Tay Crowder's ability to cover Uh, I thought last year he did a real nice job as a rookie as a coverage inside linebacker, which I think is the role that they've got penned out for him. I'd like to believe that that he will be able to handle that sufficiently so that they they wouldn't think about pulling him off the field in those spots for somebody else. Uh, As far as the early downs, you know... I'm I'm not sure what Patrick Graham is going to do. I've told you this before, Lance. Don't be surprised if Carter Coughlin is in that mix. No, you have brought that up, and it's possible. Cam Brown's another guy. I mean, there's so many mm-hmm. young guys. And remember, there's people returning from injury. So it's really hard to, at this point, get a good grasp of rotations and so forth because of the volume of players. Just to give you an idea, Reggie Ragland in his career, if you're looking at snap counts, and how he was utilized. And he was with the Chiefs and he was with the Lions, just so that you understand. When it came to defense, 2017, he played 29% of the snaps. It jumped to 49% in 2018, 21% in 2019, 50% last season with the Lions. So the three previous years, he was with the Kansas City Chiefs. Now, that doesn't mean that the Giants are going to utilize him the same way. I will say this. Reggie Ragland is a downhill player, Paul, okay? That's what he's made a name for himself in the league, where you keep him in, he helps stop the run, and normally first and second down work. Crowder, as you hit on, I think showed the capacity to drop back in coverage and offers the Giants a little bit more versatility on those passing downs. So if you were to connect the dots there, in all likelihood, you're going to keep Crowder on the field on passing downs, and you're going to have Ragland on the field more so when you want to stop the run, and you want to have him maybe in with Blake Martinez, and you're focusing on getting the guy's momentum going downhill and trying to find those extra holes that maybe the defensive lineman can't fill up. So that's how I would look at it based on how Ragland's been utilized in his career and the Giants personnel. Well, earlier in his career, there were times where he was moved outside and actually did try to do some of that stuff, but he's not suited to it. Yeah, and he's that's what it comes down the to. Tackles, a between-the-tackles, point-of-attack, run-stopping inside linebacker. That's what he is. So I, I did not mean to confuse anybody when I said earlier that, you know, maybe uh, you know Crowder could have a chance to keep him off the field. The truth of the matter is Crowder, to me, is that pass coverage inside linebacker, and that's his job to lose. I don't know if Cam Brown necessarily has the ability to beat him out or if Brunson will try to beat him out in his second year. He didn't really do anything as a rookie. So I think that Crowder really has a a good foothold on that spot going into the season. Now, the other spot, which is the run stopper, the guy who's going to play first and second down in that particular slot, yeah, Raglan's going to compete there, but again, you mentioned Brown. Maybe Brown winds up winning that spot. I'll say this. 
I think they'll be better off whether it's uh, Coughlin, Brown, even if it's Ragland, uh, or even maybe Ryan Anderson. For all I know, there's another guy might wind yeah. up in that in that mix too. Uh, and you know, do we dare say could could even Lorenzo Carter possibly play some inside? Who knows? I mean, if the outside linebackers show up so big during training camp, might the Giants say, you know what? We want to get our best linebackers on the field for as many snaps as possible. Hey, Zoe, why don't you play next to Martinez? And we've already got our outside guys and Ojolari and Zimenez uh, and, and, you know, and uh, uh, Odenabo. Maybe, maybe they decide to do that. Would, would it shock you if Lorenzo Carter wound up moving inside? No, it wouldn't stun me at all. Remember, another guy, by the way, Devontae Downs, that we should throw out too as we're throwing out all these linebackers here. You see, it's so overwhelming, which also leads me to believe, and okay, hey, maybe I'm going a little bit too down the road, but Paul, the bottom line is with all these names we're throwing out, and to your point, if there's some versatility, and if you're only going to keep a guy on the field for first and second down, and you realize, hey, maybe one of our outside guys could take on that role in the early downs, I hate to break it to you. Somebody's not making this roster of all these names we're talking about, all right? Paul, well, they're not keeping everybody. They can't. And I don't think Reggie Ragland plays special teams. There's another element in play. So we're not, once again, saying that somebody's a lock for not making the roster, but the more and more you do the math, somebody is not going to be in the equation. Maybe they make the practice squad, assuming those rules do carry over from last season. I just brought up the numbers. Special teams-wise, the most special teams work that Reggie Ragland has had, 9% of the snaps in 2019 with the Chiefs, 36 snaps to be exact. Last year with Detroit, he had 23 special team snaps. That was 5%. And the first two years in the NFL, he barely played special teams. He played four total snaps, just 1% in 18, none in 2017. Well, look, he's an Alabama guy. So we know what that means. <laughs> he's got some connections on yes, his team. Yes, he does. Which means he's definitely going to get a fair chance. But again, you know, that statement that we've often heard, the more you can do, doesn't hurt. Especially when it's a numbers game. You can't keep everybody. And if you're at the point where you wonder if somebody, God forbid, gets hurt during training camp, you got to keep an extra player at that position. Mm-hmm. You're going to have to take from a position of wealth. And that could mean that somebody that's not a special teamer or somebody that's only a certain down type of player, unfortunately, is going to be on the outside looking in. So that's just something to take into consideration. Lance, we've said this in past shows, and I'll say it here again in case people have missed it. The Giants look like they're going to have a heck of a competition at wide receiver and probably in the secondary. So if they're going to keep an extra body at one of those spots – some other spot's going to have to suffer. And the person that's going to suffer once again is an individual that may be limited in terms of what they could do on the field in terms of their usage. All right, let's go to our last question here. This is from Ben in Louisiana. Do you think the Giants have a good enough replacement in Mike Glennon that if Daniel Jones were to be injured or have to be pulled, he would keep the team afloat? Or do you think the team will regret not re-signing Colt McCoy? Well, Mike Glennon has had more starting experience and won more games in the NFL than Colt McCoy. We know he's younger than Colt McCoy. And quite honestly, you know, he has a stronger arm than Colt McCoy. He's a bigger guy and and can really fling it downfield. So I would say the answer is no. I, I think they believe they've gotten an upgrade. 
And as good a teammate as Colt McCoy was last year, and I can't stress enough how much the coaching staff enjoyed having him around, how much the players enjoyed having him, and how much Daniel Jones also looked up to him as an experienced guy who was willing to share his wealth and wisdom every single week of the season. And look, credit to Colt McCoy. He managed the game well in Seattle, and they beat the Seahawks when nobody thought they'd have a chance. So I don't want to disrespect Colt McCoy, but I do believe you know, the Giants looked at the physical skill set and the age factor and said, I think that uh, Mike Glennon's an upgrade, and that's why they made the move. At Cole McCoy, 34 years old. Mike Glennon is 31. McCoy has more experience, but in terms of recent history, Mike Glennon has at least been a starting quarterback because we are talking about somebody that started five games for the Jacksonville Jaguars last season, and he also started four games for the Bears in 2017. So that's nine starts over the span of the previous four seasons. Colt McCoy, on the other hand, prior to joining the Giants, McCoy did not have as many opportunities. He had zero in 17, two in 18, one in 19, and then two with the Giants. So nine for Glennon versus five for Colt McCoy. So I don't really think you're downgrading the experience factor. You mentioned you're gaining youth at the position. And also, Colt McCoy did not have the continuity factor, the familiarity with Jason Garrett. So it's not as if you're saying, oh my God, here we got to go again. A backup quarterback has to learn the scheme all over again. Well, it's not as if Colt McCoy brought in five or six years of wealth of experience where he was on the same page with Jason Garrett. So I don't really think that's a huge adjustment period from that standpoint. And Glennon's got a little bit more size. Not that that's a huge advantage for a quarterback, but just a little bit of different build compared to Colt McCoy. So I don't look at it as a downgrade or a major upgrade. I think you're staying steady with a veteran with experience who, God forbid, Daniel Jones gets hurt. You have confidence he could come in and he could run the offense and help you stay with your head above water and try to win football games. I'll mention one other small item here, Lance, and I'm not trying to be funny, okay? But over his, what, seven-year career in the NFL, Mike Glennon has six victories as a starter. Well, four of those were from uh, uh, game-winning drives in either the fourth quarter or overtime. Four times out of his six wins. Now, yes, I understand. Six wins, that's not a tremendous amount of wins over seven NFL seasons. Uh, He's got 27 starts. But four of the six were game-winning drives, fourth quarter or overtime. That tells you that he's certainly not afraid to be under the gun, in the spotlight, in crunch time, and has performed admirably. So, I know, I, I look, laugh if you will, but I think Colt McCoy is, uh, is, is a good, solid NFL citizen who can certainly help a lot of teams in the quarterback's room, but I think Mike uh, Glennon has more skills to bring to the field. Well, and Cole McCoy, just for the sake of news, he's with the Arizona Cardinals in case any Giants fans are not following that closely. So he's going to be a very strong asset for a guy like Kyler Murray. He's going from one member of that 2019 draft class to another. 
And this is going to be somebody that will help Cliff Kingsbury, who's also a former quarterback. So Cole McCoy has a wealth of knowledge. Nobody's doubting that. But the Giants decided, once again, to get a little bit younger, bring in somebody different. They're hoping that Daniel Jones remains healthy. You're never banking on your backup quarterback having to take over. It's an insurance policy. And the bottom line is they brought in somebody with experience who was accessible on the market and under the cap because we've talked about this more often than not. Most teams don't have the luxury to go out and spend good money on a proven backup. Like, for example, an Andy Dalton, who is with Dallas. You just, most teams don't have that. He's a starter now. Yeah, exactly. But last (laughs) season, he was brought in as the backup to Dak Prescott. And that was, right, a very good signing for the Cowboys because, unfortunately, Dak got hurt. But you felt as if, hey, you know, we're bringing in a guy that... He didn't just flash here or there and start like a Glennon or a Colt McCoy. There's a guy that started multiple years for the Bengals and helped them get to the playoffs. So you don't, once again, have the luxury in the salary cap error. So as a result, you've got to be crafty in who you could bring in. More often than not, Paul, it's a one-year rental because the following year, that quarterback may want to move on for another opportunity, and you now have to fill that void differently. You know, I, I should add, too, that from a financial perspective, The one-year contract that Mike Glennon signed this year was actually somewhat cheaper than the one-year contract that the Giants signed Colt McCoy to last year. So they actually came out ahead financially as well. Well, and I'm sure that was part of the logic and the thinking, knowing that they had a lot of heavy lifting the last time I checked to do in the offseason for some other positions. So all of those things have to be taken into consideration when you look at the dynamics of the offseason. With that being said, that is going to wrap up Friday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live. We appreciate everybody tuning in all throughout the course of the week. We will return to live programming on Monday at noon Eastern, so stay tuned for that. Paul, it was a blast as always, and I look forward to doing it again next week. It was a good time, Lance. We'll talk again soon. Thanks. Absolutely. And a reminder that Big Blue Kickoff Live is part of the Giants Podcast Network on the Giants mobile app, podcast platforms everywhere, and at Giants.com slash podcast. For Paul Dottino, I'm Lance Meadow. Enjoy the rest of your Friday. Enjoy the weekend. Stay locked to Giants.com for all the latest. We will speak to you next week. Have a good one.